this is gonna be a game changer not just in what students do but what we do as teachers and we got it we got to jump on the train Mm -hmm. so that's that's kind of where i'm at again i have that frustration or struggle i i think it's right i think the one thing i know about education is that it's slow to change um and which is unfortunate um and and I, I I am fully on board that this is a this is a paradigm shift. I am curious. I will say this. I am curious, not skeptical, because I I feel like I've been fully proven wrong with how fast and how good this Chat GPT is. But I am curious about how it will look for an AI tool like this to produce two, three, 4,000 word research papers that are carefully curated, right? Uh, that is something, and, and I, I'm no longer going to say I can't, I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to say I don't think it can do it well because I 100% now believe that it can do it well, but I haven't seen that. I'll just name that I haven't seen that yet. Welcome back to The Broken Copier, a conversation about teaching. My name is Jim Mares. My name is Marcus Luther. So some reminders about the show. This is an independent, listener-supported podcast. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators to bring helpful analysis and collaboration to folks working in the classroom. Most importantly, the show is about saying thank you to all the teachers out there, past, present, and future, who understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. If this is your first time listening, welcome. We'd love to hear from you on social media at The Broken Copier, and you can subscribe to episodes and other writing at thebrokencopier.substack.com. If you'd like to support, we'd love for you to rate and review the podcast wherever you stream or to text your friends a link to an episode so they can tune in as well. Marcus, we're hanging it up, man. Our jobs are done. We're good. We can we can all go home, right? We are, yeah. And I, I, this is not going to be a I told you so episode, but I'm going to try to avoid the framing. Uh, so in our sure. last episode, uh, we had a, a pretty good back and forth about artificial intelligence, right? You know, recorded right before Thanksgiving break, uh, had a good, you know, different exchange, different viewpoints. And then like, within weeks, uh, mm-hmm. I think we were thinking more in like the, you know, a year from now, three years from now, uh, within weeks, this thing drops online uh, called ChatGPT. Uh a public open source tool of essentially that does all of the things we were talking about in the most accessible, readily available way possible. And it's kind of taken the discourse by storm and education and other fields. And we're just going to talk a little bit today to build off that previous conversation. Now that it feels a little bit more immediate uh, and what are we looking at as a paradigm shift? I know that others don't share my view personally, uh, talking with people online about how uh, stark uh, of a paradigm shift this could be. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's worth talking about. So, but before we do all that, we're going to stay with our discipline of these episodes and just kind of talk about how things are going in our classrooms with the framing of we're in that weird stretch between Thanksgiving break and winter break, right on the precipice, at least for me with one week to go. What is your 
priority in threading that needle, Jim, as a teacher every year or just particularly this year? I think right now the priority is go for me, it's like going into break with a very clear set of priorities for how to make I, I maybe I just stopped there. Just like a clear set of priorities because it it has been feeling recently like there's so many things that I need to tackle uh, with writing and classroom culture and like this is not good and that is not good and like that is not a good place to be because then you like don't take any action. So I need to make sure uh, and I've started to do this and it's made me feel better but like I need to make sure that I'm taking a look at the available data, which is quantitative and qualitative and saying, okay, like make smart decisions, sequence things in order. Uh, one thing, like one example of that is like my, my feedback and writing reflection process and making sure that students are clear on what are the steps they need to do as writers in order to get better. Uh, which is ironic given the chat GPT conversation we're about to have. But yeah, that's uh, that's something on my mind. And then real quick for AP seminar, my we're in the point now we're wrapping up research papers and presentations as their first task. And like all of my kids in that class are at the point now where like, which I think many of us can resonate with, which is like you're proud of your research paper and you're happy about it and you you're excited about having done a good job and also you're so sick of it and like you just need to move on and so i'm trying to like you know keep things optimistic and joke around with them and that and tell them that's all right um so yeah that's kind of where i'm at how about well, you i mean the, the the pride in a research paper is a cool thing to have as a collective feel so well done on yeah that. yeah uh, for me i think it's this balance of like communication and affirmation. Like I'm trying to make sure going before break that I've reached out to, you know, different families, to different students of, in terms of, Hey, here's where we're at. Here's what we're doing. And try to emphasize communication uh, in this final week. And then really just like making sure that the, like you named that classroom culture is put on its own pedestal in this final week. And, and so it can be bigger stuff. Like we're in the, the week with our mind mapping and our wall signing with peer affirmations uh, on that Thursday, Friday, the final two days for break. But even like little things like this last week uh, was just like really kind of sensing that December lull and exhaustion mm -hmm. in the classrooms. Like midway through, we busted out our, uh, we do a, a single elimination uh, rock, paper, scissors competition where yep. everyone stands up and you just like, it's just one by one, I participate. Uh, on, a, on a personal note, I, I've been doing this for almost 10 years as a teacher. It's like, just like, it takes about three minutes. It's like mid-class break. Uh, I have never won and like the mm -hmm. math behind that in like classrooms of ranging from like 25 to 35 students and doing this hundreds of times uh, is pretty uh, depressing. I, I name that to students. So it becomes this thing uh, where they are very much watching to see how far I go. I get pretty excited. I got to the semifinals three times this past week, which is cool. That but is cool. Also heartbreaking. Uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of, I, I am struggling with that. Like I, how close I have got this year without winning. Uh, the math has to be pretty, that seems to track with the math. I feel like, what is the math on it? Well, I feel like it would 30 students. 
uh-huh. and you participate one out of 30 times, you should win. And if I've been doing this for 10 years regularly, and when I do that, it's usually like six classes that day or the, over two days. Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it not one out of thirty times though? Because each each pair, like it's been a while since I've. No. Uh, there, there's 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 so many different possible you're, combinations. You're walk you're walking into my like sweet spot of I actually stats is my I love stats. Okay. And it's just a basic. All thirty. It's one out of thirty. Have the same odds of winning if you get if you grant that, and obviously uh-huh. I have shown an an ability to master that skill. All thirty people, or all, all the students that don't have the same odds, including the teacher, then the number of times you do it, like if there's four people who are playing right. an even odds thing, you play it four times. Right. The likely scenario, not that, is that all four people should win or have this have a chance. It should take four times on average to win for every person. Uh-huh. That doesn't mean it happens. There's like this percentage that it doesn't happen, but uh-huh. it is very. I've reached that point of it, like, oh, we're in like the one percentile. Yeah. Of where the outcomes I've, are with me not winning, especially given the seriousness of which, like I like scout, like oh, if I like start with this student as my parent, I think that's going to give me an advantage, and like giving myself a hmm. couple buys when you have like an odd number doesn't matter, mm-hmm. like can't win. That's interesting. Well, I feel yeah. bad for you. The, the what do you think is going to happen the first like time you win? Thing, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. well, you know, best of luck, Marcus. <laughs> I have a three-year-old son, and I, I do pretty well against him. So there's okay. I, it seems easier to beat a th- <laughs> it seems easier to beat a three-year-old in rock paper scissors than a high schooler. Yeah. Okay. We're let, let's dive in. Let's we're off. We're off. Stuff. Okay. Yeah. So last week or last episode, uh-huh. I think it's fair to characterize the conversation as me being relatively alarmed about how artificial intelligence will impact our classrooms and education as a whole. And you being a little bit more, now I wouldn't say like defensive, but a little bit more skeptical or a little bit less alarmed comparatively in the conversation, uh, listening yeah. back to it. And then this chat GPT artificial intelligence tool drops readily available to everyone mm-hmm. last week. What say you now, Jim, how did you react to seeing this? What are your first thoughts? Yeah, I was definitely surprised at how good it was. Um, I haven't spent a ton of time playing with it uh, just because I don't feel like I need to. Like, I understand how good it is. Um, I So, yeah, I mean, I would say because I was responding. I know in the previous episode, I was responding to an essay that was like written by an AI bot that just like, wasn't that good and wasn't that interesting. And like, I'm reading this essay and I'm like, okay, I can easily tell that this is kind of written by, you know, an algorithm. This is a new tool. This is a, this is like a whole new can of worms here. Um, and so to that extent, um, it's interesting. And I definitely think that it, we are at this point faster than I thought we would be. Uh, so sh- props to you for, for calling that. Um, I'm, I'm overall though, I'm really not that alarmed and, and I can get into some of the reasons why I do think that um, 
we need to approach this strategically as especially like as English teachers collectively, like, which I think this is a skill set of most English teachers I know of like thoughtful problem solving. And that's really kind of a skill set that we need to lean into here. But yeah, I definitely think we're, we are in a new, uh, a new era of English instruction and it and it should and will call into question some fundamental things about the practice of teaching English, uh, which I I to me I say all right let's do it let's have the conversation I'm ready to have the conversation. Yeah, and I, and I appreciate that because I think that is like just the acknowledgement that this is going to change the ball game and like and like you can look at some classic examples of like how ca- calculators change teaching math etc. For sure. Uh, sure. You know, the invention of the three point line changed the game of basketball. Like this will be a shift structurally to what work we do, not just in the English classroom, but lots of classrooms. Uh, I guess what led me to write the post that I wrote this last week, because I, I, I just was stewing on my mind. And I wrote a post called Yes, Teachers, You Should Be Panicking About AI. And I'll mm-hmm. explain what I mean by panicking later on. It's not just fear. Uh was just it seemed like a lot of the reactions, whether talking in person with people or online, there was just like a collective reaction from teachers of like immediately dismissing this or Mm -hmm. playing the gotcha game. Like, oh, I found this way. It's Mm -hmm. not perfect. And I can, and I just, it seemed like that was a collective reaction. So I, I just was trying to understand why, and I get it why people were so initially skeptical or defensive when, you know, for me, like I was posting prompt after prompt this past week, basically went through my archive of what I've asked students to do this year from like quiz skills and, you know, formative assessments and tossing it in and not all the responses are perfect, but they're also, if a student's turned that in, a lot of them would get partial or most of the points and there's no way for me to tell the difference and I know a lot of teachers hearing this are saying, well, yeah, but I can compare that to a student's writing. And for me, it's like, well, take a step back. If this has been here for several years, the student walks in with access to that tool at the start of the year. No, you can't. And I know that there's then, I think the other thing that really, I mean, there's lots of things that concerns me in my post. We can talk about it. Uh, I think I am most scared of what the reaction might be from teachers, which is, oh, this just means we're going completely pen and paper. We're going to close our doors to technology, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to block out the potential of this. And yeah, that will keep them from using this artificial intelligence tool, which I'm sure is going to develop more and more in terms of its accessibility and nuance over the years ahead. But how does that prepare students to walk out of your classroom into the world where this is a normed tool uh, being used? And I just, I'm so cynical right now about Mm -hmm. how I, based especially on what I'm seeing online and talking to people, I don't think we're going to react to this well. I think with the right mindset, this could be actually a step forward for us as educators. I just don't believe that that's where we're at. And I think this is going to be not chaos, but really harmful to our work and serving students as authentic writers and critical thinkers in the years ahead. I think it's going to get really bad. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think part of the paradigm shift will be that we're not ready 
to make that paradigm shift as educators. That's what I'm concerned mm-hmm. about. Let's okay. That makes sense. Let's do let's do what I I think needs to happen in the face of this conversation, which is to have some fundamental conversations about uh you know what it means to teach English, especially given the fact that as students go on to college and as students go on to their professional lives, these tools are going to get better and better. You know, I think I remember an earlier episode coming into this fall or this summer, right? Like uh, talking about something that was a struggle in my classroom and the struggle is students hitting the word count for essays, right? And like coming up with what to say. Okay, so like, and now that struggle is effectively eliminated. Like it's, it's there at the click of a button. Um, so let's start with this. Like, why is teaching English important? Like, why do you need to be able to write well now? What I mean, what's your answer to that? Yeah, I think I I appreciate I think you're right that this is where we need to go. And so Mm -hmm. let's go there. Uh, For me, quite frankly, the goal of English in our class, we name this vision is I want you to be able to engage with different perspectives as a reader and critical thinker to be able to communicate your own perspective uh, in a way that the writing itself, the communication itself doesn't just get the job done, but elevates the ideas and the process of ideas and how you communicate it out. And then also to be able to tell your own story out to the world. And for me, this is twofold. The the idea of authenticity has been talked about a lot this week. And yeah, Mm -hmm. I want students to be authentic. I want them to find a way to express their own voice as writers. But in the world of communication, it's also here are the norms, here are the guideposts that people are going to look for. And a lot of times those are problematic guideposts, like this idea of whether it's an assessments we might get into, like in terms of AP exams or standardized testing, like people are looking for these norms, these boxes to be checked, these boxes to be filled when you write something, when you communicate something in terms of your tone, in terms of your formality, et cetera. And you are better off when you can play the game to fit into those boxes. So my, and yes, in doing so, there's a little bit of a sacrifice of authenticity. There's a sacrifice of the innovation and creativity, but until you master those boxes and understand those boxes too, not just able to fill them, but you understand those rules and constraints, then a lot of times if you just skip that and go right to the innovation, creativity, all of that, your writing isn't going to be delivered in an effective manner. What concerns me then, of course, is this AI tool eliminates the standardized writing skill in a lot of ways in that it's one click away. And I'm worried about if you just try to skip past it into like the Mm -hmm. world of creative, just go the route you want to go, be innovative, et cetera. And you haven't mastered those skills personally, that could be problematic. What about you? Let's just go to your route. Like what is the purpose of your course? What's Uh the purpose? Um, so I come back to a couple things. The first thing is that communication is a leadership skill. If you want to, sorry, my dog is, Lucille, stop it. It's okay. It's all right. Just chill out. 
We're probably not. I, I probably won't have time to edit that out. But now everyone can know Lucille. Communication is a leadership skill. Communication is a very is a big leadership skill. No, go lay down. Shh, it's okay. I might have to edit this out. It's getting ridiculous. You're fine. Wait, lay down. Go lay down. She's she has she hates the dog who lives above us, and it's like a whole thing. Stop. All right. Communication is a leadership skill. If you want to be successful in any industry, you have you have to be able to work with people, and that requires. I'm gonna. I swear, she's never been this bad. She's usually totally fine, chilling with me while we do this. Lucille, sorry. Hang on. I'm I'm editing this out for sure. Get up here. Stop. Okay. Stop it. You don't need to do that. All right. Oh, Mark Clip. There we go. That way I know where to edit from. Okay. Let me reset here. Take a sip of coffee. Communication is a leadership skill. Okay. So, um, yes, as I was saying, (laughs) uh, the first, you know, the first reason if I'm talking to a student and explaining why the course is important, why they should invest time, why they should work hard, uh, leadership skills are your ability to be an effective leader depends on your ability to communicate with other people. This is how you motivate people. This is how you inspire people. This is how you get people on your side. This is how you build a team. These things are not just inherent uh, this is a skill set that is learned and practiced over time. So beyond the the college admissions and box checking and standardized testing skills, which can be important, um, you are a more like you are a more powerful person if you can read and write and speak really well, and if you are an effective communicator. And I am very serious about that. And I do not shy away from, from saying that, you know, sometimes I think people do shy away from saying that because it's like cheesy or something, but it's not. And I, I am intentional about investing students in that idea. Um, And then the other thing, so leadership skills and just knowing yourself like be being able like you said this phrase to tell your story being able to have a tool set that you can pull from to describe what you're going going through and and describe what your world is right like i and i'll i have articles and i'll show students examples of this but like basically the bigger your vocabulary is and the more complex you're able to use any language. And in our case, it's English. 
um, the more your world is going to make sense, the better problem solver you're going to be, right? Like there's a, there's a fundamental correlation between all those things. And I really stay focused there. Like in, in beginning of the year conversations, I try not to overcomplicate things. I try not to like, you know, give this big sell or talk about all the college board benefits and the money and the scholarships. And I'll, you know, I'll say, yeah, this is, this stuff is available. These are the test scores and I want you to do well on the test, but this is uh, why I think communicating and being able to be an excellent reader and writer is really important. That's not going away with chat GPT or, you know, however, however good the essay writing software becomes, that stuff is not going away. And so I think that needs to be front and center. I guess for me, one of the things that is a delineation that I'm thinking about is I think we talk, when we talk about, I like the leadership framing, I think it's right, uh, is that oftentimes the conversation I have with students is the idea of, yeah, you're not going to probably study poetry, all of you, when you leave this room the rest of your life or, you know, literary analysis even, but your ability to communicate well, communicate effectively can either be a barrier or an asset for you in terms of your skills you walk out of. I think, especially in all that I've read this week, I think that the barrier part might be disappearing, if that's fair. So in like the way you communicate from professional emails and much more standardized writing, because we know those people like who struggle despite many other skills, they don't have the basics to be successful in terms of, or as successful as they could be, whether it's a job application or uh, an interview, uh, a written interview, or professional emails even and communicate with colleagues. That's the kind of standardized communication that is one click away. And like just, I mean, honestly, have ChatGPT write a letter of recommendation for you. Have it write a potential scholarship essay. Have it write a professional email about whatever the topic is. And it'll spit out something that is polished, generic, but that's kind of what we coach people towards in terms of like, especially students, we say, hey, like we do kind of in certain situations, ask them to write within a box of like, hey, this is how you would start a professional email. This is what should be included in this. I should end it. It is this just one level up in the sense that for people who might have had struggles uh, in terms of that style of communication, mm-hmm. that struggle is probably not going to exist with these personal AI tools that you know will be as easy as Grammarly or other things that we have already built in. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, I think you're right, that that means that it will become an asset that you'll be able to, you know, that I think excellence as a writer and communicator still is going to matter. It probably will matter a little bit less because that gap will be closed. But I think the barrier part might be going away. How do they, do, does that track this delineation between the barrier? I, 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 I think it does, but I just, I don't think it will matter less. Like I think, I think that, I just, I wonder why it would matter less. And I'm trying to think about how it would matter less. And it's just, to me, it's like not, it's actually really hard to be an excellent reader and writer and communicator. And not many people are. And I just, to me, 
using tools like this if they're not used well. And I think we should try to like pivot into use cases and classroom stuff here in a second. But it's like, if more people are never going to develop good skill sets, uh, especially as writers, right? Because they rely on these types of tools to avoid the practice of writing. I think that there's a world out there where being a good reader and writer and communicator will matter more. Like I'm, I'm worried about like the downturn in students' empathy and um, problem solving skills and communicating skills as uh, to me, that's like the cost of what these tools bring. But I, I, I don't know. I feel like there's just that my only point here is that there seems to be like, there's actually a world where, being a great reader and writer and communicator matter more in face of, of this type of tool. Well, let's just like, let's, let's pin that. What do you mean when you say great writer? Cause I think we're, we're still not in the world of like where a student can like click a button and it's going to pretend to talk for them. Like they're like seminars and discussions are still very much front and center in our classrooms uh, yeah. and won't be affected. But when you say someone's a great writer, you talk to a student who's a great writer what do you mean by that specifically? I mean, like someone who can use it, like, even if it's, even if it's, um, you know, a professional email or memos, or if you're leading in a nonprofit space, or especially as a journalist, like people who are clever with their words and inspiring with their words, and you don't know the person personally, but you read what they put down on paper and it challenges you to think and and act and do things differently or even escape into a fantasy world if you're like that is i think there's not as many people who are interested in that anymore but i think that like it's not it it's not devalued to me like i think it is still incredibly valuable we still rely on I would say we even desperately need more of good journalists and act, you know, advocates and organizers, right? Like big picture philosophically, like it's, we are not going to be living in a less polarized society if people become worse communicators. So um, yeah, I, I, maybe that's getting a little bit too esoteric, but that's kind of where I, how I see it. Yeah. And I guess, let me frame it this way then. Let's think of like a book that you've read lately or a, a piece you've read lately that really resonated with you personally. If I told you, and by the way, listeners do this too. Mm-hmm. If I told you then after the fact, after you've had that personal experience, that that writer used artificial intelligence as a tool in writing that word, like, you know, cause that that's available, like where you can like put your piece in, it'll spit out some ideas. You can edit it a little bit. Like mm-hmm. would that change the way that you encounter that piece? I don't think so, but I think like I'm, I think that I'm going to, I mean, no, I don't think so. But I also think that someone who's a professional writer like 
the analogy comes to mind to me of like um, the head coach of a football team. Like if you are a professional writer and you are trying to see a small, any, anything from a small piece of writing all the way to uh, like a, a large novel, if you're trying to see that through start to finish, there's a lot of different tools. I mean, look at the, look at how, how fiction is, you know, tropes and archetypes are recycled through the centuries in fiction. Like it doesn't necessarily just because the author didn't invent it personally from their mind doesn't necessarily mean that it's um, worthless. So no, I don't think it would be. And my other point to that is like they reading and writing is, is a, simultaneous exercise and so like i still view it a pro as a process of writing if you are taking a look at something a robot spit out and making some decisions about tone and style and craft and like that is to me that's writing um but that is a little bit different than what we are worried about with, with how students would be using this tool. Yeah. And I think you're right that we should pivot to that, but I just want to flag kind of even like the way you said that, uh, I think that these tools, if they become normed in society, I think we're both in agreement that it seems like that's the direction we're heading probably quicker than we might've assumed Uh, is one, it's going to make authenticity itself of writing much more of a question mark, right? Like, like where that's brought up at any point. I think about like the steroid era of baseball, etc. How you start wondering, like, oh, this person's using steroids. Well, are they all mm-hmm. using steroids or HGH, etc.? And it changes the way you look at the entire sport. And I, I think the arena of riding at this mm-hmm. moment will like that's where we're heading. We're and I think we're already there in a way. And I, and part of me is like from like a deeper level, like creativity itself is a little bit of a facade. Like we. Think of ourselves as creative, and I, I'm trying to. Play, I believe in that as an English teacher, but mm-hmm. a lot of times creativity is this unconscious synthesizing of what we've already encountered and perceived, and we incorporate in our own way that we communicate. But it still comes from somewhere, right? Like that, like tabula mm-hmm. rasa type effect. And I think this just amplifies the speed of that, but also brings up a, a very important, I think, ethical question of like, what is it, what does it mean to communicate originally? Uh, and what does it mean when you're bringing in this new tool that doesn't just fix grammar, but offers ideas. And then mm-hmm. you, I think, cause I think that's different than something like checking your spelling and grammar. Like this is actually going to offer you ideas as a writer. And it can be something can be a really powerful tool, but the use and the proliferation of the tool itself is going to change the way people look at writing. And mm-hmm. I think that conversation has to be had and we need to get ahead of it not have it five years from now and mm-hmm. as educators in terms of what we do with our students uh so anyhow but let's talk about what we do with our students like what yeah what are, sure what are your thoughts about what this looks like in your classroom yeah so i think like i hear your point you made the point earlier of like one of your fears is you know a collective like throwing your hands up and going pen and paper and um just blocking the technology out, which I agree is um, not a wise approach because it's here 
and like it's part of the real world so as educators we we have a responsibility to prepare our students not just for whatever assessments they are going to be taking but also the real world that they're going to be entering and sometimes i think there's some tension i often i think there's some tension between that however i would like to pause and really I'm not joking when I say this and I, I, I don't really see it as like throwing up my hands and avoiding it. Handwriting is important. It has always been important. And I feel like we, I, I think we should take it seriously. And I think we should, I think there's a world where like we should now take it more seriously, but there's evidence out there that suggests that in terms of encoding, um, you're, you're, it's better for you. You remember things more. Um, it's, it's a process of, it's much more focused. There are no distractions. There's no pop-ups. There's no, um, Chromebook chargers that are missing and battery things and 45 different tabs. Like, it's more focused. And I just want to double down on the fact that like it can be, and this is, this is where I think the role of the teacher is critical. Like your framing of any type of educational practice is essential. So it cannot be the case. You can't, you can't say if you just, if you make the decision as an English teacher to say, uh, no, the if the reason why you are handwriting an essay is to avoid this technology, then it will be like pulling teeth and it will be a miserable experience for you and for everyone involved. If the reason that you are handwriting as a practice is around community building and joy and fun and creative, I mean, ha- handwriting is to me, a very enjoyable experience. I love doing it. I wish that I had more time to do it. And I I don't know. I just, I think it should be taken really seriously and it should be a part of a larger conversation, especially now within the context of this, right? Um, I don't know. So that's, I, I'm not offering, hand, I'm not offering the practice of handwriting as um, a way to like throw up my hands and avoid it. And I think that it's not the only way uh, or certainly not the only tool that we have an obligation for students or to, to have students use, but I think we should reevaluate it. I think people should be really thinking about seriously, what is the role that handwriting anything plays into your classroom? Yeah. And I agree. Uh, I think, especially in the short term, like that's a reasonable, it's a both end. Like it can't just be that. And I really appreciate naming the framing, like the framing can't just be an avoidance. It has to be in the right. value. And I, I agree with that value. Like we just had students who were reading Catcher in the Rye, with my sophomores. Uh, mm-hmm. They, we did a stream of consciousness, like just write for seven minutes and you can mm-hmm. see them hit. I mean, seven minutes doesn't sound like a long time, but it can be for some students. Uh, like minute one, minute two difficult, but when it 
crossed over into like, oh, I'm riding now and I've got this going. They hit that mode and it became a really cool thing. The end product was really good for a lot of them. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's just an example, a small example of what a lot of the things we can do uh, essay-wise uh, in terms of our students. So yeah, yeah, writing needs to be handwritten. I'd also add another short-term thing is we need to lean into metacognitive uh, reflection where students aren't just writing, they're also reflecting and explaining the choices they made as writers in each piece. And that's 100%. something that is, needs to be built in. It's something that I, I've shared posts on that uh, on our Substack. I'm trying to do more this year already, and now we'll double down even further on it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I agree with all that, but I also think that can't be the only thing. I know that's not what you're saying, but it doesn't right. seem to be what part of the discourse is right now where, cause I think people are overwhelmed. It's like, how do I prepare students to navigate technology and writing, especially right now in our current education system, like we have these online platforms that proliferated during mm-hmm. uh, Zoom teaching or the you know COVID remote learning. We have, and honestly, if I have students who are absent, it, it's a nice tool for students to be able to you know submit something remotely uh, if they're out for whatever reason it is, and or if I'm out quite honestly. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're in this world where technology is a part of education and students need the skills to navigate that successfully. And as, and I think I don't know what that looks like with this new tool, but I do know that it's my job as a teacher, as you noted, to figure that out. I don't think it's going to happen mm-hmm. in the next week. I think this is something that we as a teaching community need to be leaning into to understand more and to norm on quite honestly because what a teacher the year before did and the teacher a year after does also matters because we talk a lot about making sure students are ready to be successful beyond our classrooms as writers and Mm -hmm. we need to know what that's going to look like in those classrooms too Mm -hmm. another another idea that i hope is centered in this conversation And something that I want to just name and call out is that in my, which I think is my, my experience and participating in this conversation, I think is more limited than yours. I've been, I've seen some tweets and I've talked to a few other people and I've, I've read a couple articles, but I would, I really want to caution because the instinct of many, the instinct of many teachers seems to be, well, now students are just going to use this to cheat. And we can't rely on it anymore because students are going to cheat. And I think that that is disrespectful. I think that's a disrespectful assumption. Um, Certainly, certainly there are students out there who will use it to try to get a crutch, right? But students want to learn. Students care deeply about their own ability to develop. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my class, to a frustrating degree, a student will call me over and say, read this thing that I've written. Do you think it's good? Yeah. Yes, it's good, right? Like, the, the amount that they care about their ability to put something down on paper that is quote unquote good or for whatever, like there's, they are working hard and they care about what they 
are putting down on paper. I mean, can we just honor that too and not assume right away that we don't even know if students are going to want to do this? You know, like I, I think about myself as a, well, coming back to math, I, I know that you're much more of a stats guy than I am. You know, I remember in high school taking AP calculus and, or not, it wasn't called AP calculus, but it was calculus. And, you know, a common practice in that class is a no calculator test. A common practice in a lot of math classes are no calculator text, tests. And like, I was proud of myself. I worked harder for a no calculator test because I knew that the test was well-written and it would, you know, I had, oh my goodness, this is the second time. She's really ruining this podcast. I wish I had AI to, to shut you up, Lucille. How about that? Could turn you off in a switch. The point is I felt really proud of myself and, and, and excited to be able to succeed on a test in calculus that was a no calculator test because I knew that it was just, did you understand the stuff? And I think that we need to honor that and celebrate that mindset and, and trust and believe that students are going to lean into that mindset because the assumption that, oh, well, now we're just going to have mass cheating on our hands I think is not respectful of students and we should honor the fact that they want to learn and be creative in the first place. Yes. But I also think I I hear you. I worry that you're drifting into the thing that the other pattern I'm seeing is this kind of talking about education and the ideal lens that a lot of people are retreating towards. Uh, Like I'm hearing a lot of, well, like, Oh, we have this writing process where I conference with them all the way through start to finish all for me, like 200 of my students, like, I'm going to be quite honest. Yeah, you can't. And no, you're right. Yeah. And I think, and also this idea, and I I agree with you that we need, I hate that the implication that it's going to be used for cheating, that like the integrity and how that projects, I I think is a really deficit mindset that we need to push back against. However, I think back on my own education, there are the courses where I was incredibly curious about the content and I, I was proud of myself as a learner and was incredibly invested. And I'm so thankful of those teachers uh, for creating that environment in the first place. It's one of the reasons that I do this work. I'm sure the same for you. Mm -hmm. There were also those courses where it was transactional. We've talked about this, like where like I am here to get the credit, to get the grade, et cetera. And sometimes it's going to be, I'm purely motivated in some, some courses and other times I just need to do this stuff to get this grade and move on. Or mm-hmm. I've got all this stuff going on in my life. If you're, you know, you've fallen behind on work, you've been out a month for sickness or family reasons, and you're just trying to catch up, that's going to make the incentive to use these tools that much more mm-hmm. in those spaces. And for some of our students, they walk into our spaces like that. And I just, I think we need to be aware of that too. And I think the framing, of course, has to be about this uh, building that authentic connection and building the rapport with students that they are motivated. And I want to, of course, always strive for the ideal. But I also think this is why I appreciate that piece I posted in The Atlantic that just acknowledge this is producing already in this beta version better products written than what many of our especially lower level students or students who are struggling or have skill gaps produced yeah. or that student who's behind on a bunch of stuff and is just trying to get it done to get their grade up to a passing grade 
and in the mm-hmm. system where we have incredible pressure to pass students, uh, when we have mm-hmm. incredible uh, numbers of absences and makeup work, et cetera, just the reality is that this is a tool that goes viral once on TikTok, and that's a game changer in terms of its usage. Like this could, mm-hmm. we're like three clicks away from this becoming the app that's automatically put onto a phone. Kid takes a picture of whatever the prompt is. It's oh, the prompt yeah. thing. They copy and paste it. They handwrite what it was, and there's no way for us to prove the difference. And it's not me saying projecting that students will do this. I don't even think of it as cheating. That's, I wouldn't label that. It's just this new tool. And I think we're not ready to reckon with what that does to the education system at all. I, I really mm-hmm. genuinely don't because I see so many, and not you, but others resisting that conversation in the first place. And mm-hmm. I am I just knowing what I know about education and what we've talked about on here. I think people are incredibly calcified in how they do things. And I think mm-hmm. the, the moment that you bring this up to them, they start finding as the reason as quick as possible that they can dismiss it. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the reaction I'm seeing more than people being afraid of it being used as a cheating school tool is that people just mm. don't get, I, sorry, I don't mean to be condescending, but like they don't recognize the paradigm shift that this is, uh, is where I keep coming back to. Uh, and a lot of people I respect too. And like really education mm-hmm. voices, I really do respect. I don't think that we're maybe this will just take like a month or two to you know simmer into the discourse a little bit more fully. But reading what I've read and playing with it the way I've played with it, like this is gonna be a game changer, not just in what students do, but what we do as teachers. And we got to we got to jump on the train. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Again, I have that frustration or struggle. I I think it's right. I think the one thing I know about education is that it's slow to change. Um, and which is unfortunate. Um, and, and I, I, I am fully on board that this is a, this is a paradigm shift. I am curious. I will say this. I am curious, not skeptical because I have feel like I've been fully proven wrong with how fast and how good this chat GPT is. But I am curious about how it will look for an AI tool like this to produce two, three, four thousand word research papers that are carefully curated, right? Uh, that is something, and I, and I, I am no longer going to say I can't. I, I'm, not, I'm definitely not going to say I don't think it can do it well. Because I 100% now believe that it can do it well, but I haven't seen that. I'll just name that I haven't seen that yet, which is a course that I teach, and so I like I want to know how that's going to work out. And I think we do we do we need to be having honest conversation. The thing the thing that you just said that I think is important to notice, right? Like these transactional moments in education, in our, in our education, like I got to get this credit or whatever. I hope that this type of tool and this type of sea change in education creates the space to make school less transactional. Like school, school should be, there should be as little, transactional cost 
to a student's education, I think, as possible. The more you create space for uh, choice-based courses and like doing learning what you want to learn and you know like i think that is a whole part of the standardized education conversation that we need to that we could start to reevaluate so i hope that i hope basically that this type of tool and i i don't think that it will let me be clear like i i am extremely cynical about the powers that be in terms of like there's too much money in standardized testing and you know all that kind of stuff but so i have no i have no confidence that it will will ever change or be, start to reevaluate anytime soon our overall stance on standardized testing as a collective but i do wonder if this type of tool can be the thing or one of the things that puts a crack in that wall and starts to have us reevaluate the purpose of standardized testing and rubricy writing and writing for the sake of an you know like that kind of stuff could could start to become less valuable and honestly i hope that it does i hope it does i do too uh but i i just worry i mean i'm right there with you and it was a major part of the piece i wrote is that i think that this is going to be a steroid booster to the testing industry uh for profit. And it's going to, you know, you're going to have a lot of these new companies in the next few years go to schools and say, Hey, here's this program. Students can write as much as they want and it'll give real time feedback immediately to them as writers. And that sounds crazy, but I took a student essay just as curious, plugged mm-hmm. in their introduction paragraph to chat GPT and said, what feedback would you give this introduction paragraph? And in three bullet points, it named three things that I had already written on my own as feedback for that student's introduction paragraph, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm in some of this stuff. I think this is where the humility for me has to be the dominant message. Like we just need to be humble in this moment is a lot of what we do is standardized. Even if we mm-hmm. created this new way to do things or we found this new text or new voice, like we are conditioned as teachers, like these are standards that we're teaching. Like they're literally called standards, right? Like mm-hmm. we're giving feedback oftentimes to say like, Hey, this is what's expected when you write an introduction or this, like there are certain things that what we do is standardized to repeat that point, And we need to acknowledge that. And mm-hmm. yes, we want to be innovative and authentic, but we're not very, quite often. Yeah, I think that, we're not. I guess that's where I just keep like hitting my head again. Like, I feel like I'm. You know, but we can't. I mean, we can be. Why not though? Right? Like, we can be, and we should be. And let's be clear about like we have a responsibility to be. You know what I mean? Like, yes, but I, think, I, I don't mean to interrupt. No, but. but so for me, this is where it gets to the philosophical part of communication is norms, right? Like, if, mm-hmm. if, if you are, if everyone communicates in their own completely innovative to the extreme way and distinct style and voice in every single type of way that they communicate. Communication is a lot harder, right? Like part of the idea of communication is agreeing upon certain norms and contexts in the same way of this back and forth dialogue. Uh, that's just built in to mm-hmm. making communication successful. And then I think there's this basically this teeter totter is that within that shared norm, finding the authenticity of your voice that also adheres to those norms. That's what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. And I think our job as educators up to this point has been both. You need to help students 
thrive in the agreed upon norms, constraints, expectations of what communication is, and mm-hmm. to develop their authentic voice within those constraints and even going beyond them. And I think that you're right that this shifts what that conversation should be. It forces us to deconstruct what those norms and constraints are and what communication is. But I don't like I'm as I'm talking about this, I'm like, I don't even know how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what does a classroom look like when all of that stuff is algorithmized or standardized, et cetera? And now we're just talking about the purely innovative. Like, I think mm-hmm. that we invisibly retreat back to what we've inherited, the mindsets we've inherited, the language norms we've inherited. And I don't think we're ready to reckon. I I, I, I don't want to use the we. I personally mm-hmm. am not sure what this looks like. And that's where I just keep coming back to humility and saying like this, I don't know what this is going to mean. I do know that it means that I have a lot of work to do as a teacher to figure it out. And I really hope that work is a collective work where we have as many people on board with that type of self-examination about our pedagogy and practices as possible. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, um, interesting to, th- it's, it is. And I feel like this is the, I, I feel like this is the first time, when I have been, when I have felt authentically the need to re-examine a lot of my own beliefs and mindsets and practices in the classroom, which I, I, I appreciate that to be honest. You know what I mean? Like, I think that sometimes reflection and maybe this is like a tangential thing, but it's like sometimes I get frustrated with some, you know, educational people and PD and saying like, let's reflect on your classroom practice. And like, can you make this thing better? And it's like, no, sometimes I want to be confident in a thing that is working so that I can do it over time and so that I can give students multiple different at-bats. And I actually don't want to have, I I have two prep periods a day. I have hundreds of essays to grade. I have assignments to post. I have families to communicate with. My time is limited. No, I would actually prefer not in this moment to use that time to be reflecting on my classroom practice. I have found myself more and more in that mindset because I am more confident in my teaching and I'm, you know, I'm here and I'm becoming that like jaded teacher. But I now feel that there is an authentic need to, you said the word humility, which I totally agree with. Like we do need to be humble and we do need to start re re-examining our practices through this lens of short term, medium term, long term. How does this tool shape um, what our students need to be able to know and do? And that is a fundamental question that we should be coming back to. And you're right. I hope we do. But also, I hope I I kind of think that 
I think you're right. Like people are just not going to want to, and they'll, they will, they're just going to be throwing hands up and saying pen and paper or whatever it is. And it's going to be a mess, Marcus. I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Well, it also, I think this is where, I mean, we're on the same mindset here and this is what this podcast is about, right? Like the idea that even like the symbolic shift we made to like the broken copier, like, the humility built into this work, it's about serving students. And this is going to call into question a lot of our expertise. It's going to create a lot of insecurity. It's going to be a lot of the things that we have developed as you know teachers, not just English teachers, but teachers overall in terms of the critiques and feedback we give. If that's one mm-hmm. button away, if you can put in that, stu- that student's essay and it can spit out the same feedback I gave in that instance, it's not every instance right now, but it could be, you know, five years from now, uh, it forces us to change what we do. And if you look mm-hmm. at how artificial intelligence has impacted other industries, the first reaction is defensiveness. The first reaction is, is either mocking that it's not going to do anything or mm-hmm. to really try to overemphasize the uniqueness of what we do. And we love teachers on here. Like that's our, our goal is to celebrate mm-hmm. and affirm teachers. But it also part of our goal is to question like, are teachers willing to look in the mirror and say, how can I get better? And I and we mm-hmm. agree, teachers are not given the support, time, and resources to do that work. Like that, mm-hmm. that needs to change too. Like you can't just say, okay, during your prep period, figure out how AI changes your entire pedagogy. Go. Like mm-hmm. we need to give teachers the support to make this shift. But teachers, I would just challenge anyone who's listening to this, like spend some time when you get a chance, because I think Jim, you're right. This isn't just this new thing, this facade coming in that's just the next thing and it's going to be replaced by something else. I feel pretty confident saying that and, mm-hmm. and I would I love to be wrong, but I, one of the reasons I wrote what I did is I wanted to like put a pin in the ground and say, I really think this is the paradigm shift that this, not that the sky, sky is falling, but the sky mm-hmm. looks different now. And oh yeah. Uh, that I feel incredibly confident. I don't typically talk that way or write that way. So I, I hope mm-hmm. that I, this isn't just like a hot take and then replaced by another one uh, next mm-hmm. week. But I just, I want to encourage humility because I think that's the only response that works here. Cause I don't have the answers other than we need to have these conversations more and more. It's why I'm glad we have this space to have them. Yeah. I just, I know that we're kind of getting up on time here, but I, I want to make two quick points. I actually think we don't have the answers for this problem, but we do have some answers. And I w- what you just said made me think of all the stuff that I read and was thinking about in terms of our response to COVID, our social and collective response to COVID. And it was like masking or not masking and don't politicize, right? Like we have we we now can look back at our response to covid and say if there's ever anything like this again these are now the best practices so we should as in education we should look back we should we should take a look at the last time there was a big sea change in terms of technology or learning you know i feel i mean the internet itself the internet itself called into question a lot of these ideas, right? How did education and educators respond to the internet? I, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure people were like, well, now students are, 
they need to know how to go to the library and navigate the Dewey Decimal System and all that kind of stuff, right? So, like, what would, what did that conversation look like and what was good and bad about that? Are there any lessons that we could learn from the last time we incurred this big paradigm shift? Um, that would be thing number one. And thing number two is more of a question for you, right? Like bringing it down to brass tacks. Let's assume we're about to go on winter break. We are about to go on winter break. By the time we come back from winter break, and I am firmly convinced that this will be completely ubiquitous for all high schools, right? All high high schools are all going to know about this. So what are you going to do? Like, what are, what are some immediate concrete things that are on your mind as classroom practices in January? Is anything going to change? Are you going to be, what, what are some small concrete things that are on your mind in the face of this coming in January? Yeah. And I think that's something we're going to negotiate ourselves and individually Mm -hmm. as teachers. I guess the third point I want to add in is that teachers need to be front and center in this conversation along with students Mm -hmm. because there are going to be a lot of bad actors. There's going to be a lot of people who are incentivized for profit, not for genuine learning, who are going to take, try to take the reins of this conversation. You're going to have the testing industry really trying to make a pitch of like, this is the new way they're going to point at test scores and they're going to try and sell a bunch of stuff. You're going to have a lot of experts in different fields, which I think it's always good to listen to experts, but this podcast, if nothing else, is about centering the voices of teachers. And if teachers' reaction to this is to be defensive or to diminish the impact that it will have, teachers will get sidelined. Mm-hmm. We will be reactive, and that reactive response will not be the ideal one. I encourage, mm-hmm. along with humility, humility is like genuine curiosity. Learn more so you can be a part of this conversation, not with an agenda. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't have an agenda other than I want to learn more and understand how this and, and and have this conversation. I don't necessarily know what direction it needs to go in. And I just would, I really, really, really believe teachers need to be a part of this conversation. And I see, it seems like that a lot of people are opting themselves out and that mm-hmm. concerns me. So I, I would encourage you along with humility is do the work to be a part of this conversation and to do so in an authentic, curious way. I agree. Yeah, te- teachers are the experts here, but we need to use that expertise widely, wisely, mm-hmm. and and not and and no, I think you're right. There's a big risk of teachers being sidelined. Um. Well, let me can I'll I'll start with a classroom practice. Okay, yeah, go for it. Sorry. Okay, we have um, I have this routine routine writing system that. Uh, I use and I've called it, it. It's called just a connections journal. Um, I call it commonplace and it's just stock. Que- it's just five stock questions where students are responding to like they're you know, in AP Lang, you cycle through a lot of different texts. So it's, it doesn't feel boring or rote because the texts, we don't spend more than like three or four days on one major text at a time. Those have felt at times in my room to be transactional. Like I feel like it's the I have I've been the teacher where it's like, all right, let's 
let's not do our commonplace presentations or yeah, this was due, but like, I'm not, I, you know, like it's felt one of those things that has been deprioritized um, in service of studying for a quiz or, you know, hitting the essay that's like quote unquote real writing or whatever, which is like not a good mindset for me to be in and not a good practice. So my focus and the one thing that I'm reason that I'm the reason that I am bringing up commonplace is because a lot of students choose actively. They have the option. I tell them they have the option to type it or write it by hand. And I said, but I encourage you to write them by hand. I think it's a good practice. I think I find it soothing. I find it interesting. I encourage you to write it by hand. And most of them do. Most of them do. So I think my focus, my immediate decision is to elevate commonplace and kind of double down on it as a writing practice and as a learning practice. Um, and also ask students, right, in the face, ask, I, I, you know, be honest and say, all right, I know this is out here, you know, this is out here. What do you think about mandating handwritten commonplace and have bringing them into that conversation and just opening it up for them? Um, I think that's kind of where my head is at with this. And I'll add but one, I, 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 yeah, go ahead. And I'll add one quick thing, uh, tangible thing that I think it needs to be uh, front and center is that this kind of devalues the canon in a way because there's so many ideas oh, yeah. already out there. Uh, and like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't read canonical writing, but like, this is where like I'm really excited that we bring in new voices to our classroom as much as possible from uh, poems mm -hmm. and stories. Uh, you know, I'm always researching like new literary magazines uh, and pieces to bring in that students, if they Google, they might find the piece, but that's it. So they, there's not as much out there. And I, I've done that for years now. And I think if not, like this is a great moment as a teacher to be like, okay, how can I do stuff new? And what voices and perspectives can I bring in that are different than what I've done before? Because the once you say the word before, that's mm -hmm. where this becomes incredibly vulnerable and less valuable. And I think that, mm -hmm. you know, like, of course, like we also have a Shakespeare unit in up in February. I'm like, okay, like that, I'm gonna have to like reexamine some things we do with that. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think the how can you make it new as a teacher and a practitioner? Uh, the little things matter too. It's not just this big philosophical. It's like what things can you bring into your classroom? that shift the way or shift even the voices that students are encountering. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, let's, let's do some, I know that we're kind of getting low. Let's do some shout outs here. Okay. You go for it. Uh, okay. Um, I am going to shout out my, I, I, I've been sticking with college for a while now, but I'm going to, I'm going to stay with college. I'm going to shout out, um, a guy named Sid Sondergaard, who was incredibly instrumental uh, for me as a learner and a writer and as a mentor. Um, and I'm going to, he's, he's on my mind. He's been on my mind. First of all, Sid, I know that I owe you a couple emails. Sid and I email back and forth and I've been swamped recently, but I'm going to send you this episode and I'd be curious to get your take on it. Um, but the thing about Sid's class, I, I took multiple classes with him but I'm thinking about my screenwriting course and we used a specific screenwriting software that professional screenwriters used. And the, the thing that I was most excited about that course is like, one, I get this new 
new fancy tool that I get to explore with and learn with as a writer. And so that tracks to me, just like that, that, that idea of coolness and newness and polish. Like I was, and obviously that software is way different than the, than the chat G this AI essay writing software that we're talking about now. But I just remember the experience of, being a pretty advanced writer and then also like getting to play with this cool new tool. And I wonder how that experience, like, I wonder if there's a, if there's a world for this, for that type of experience and that type of lens to be approached with, with AI essay writing now. But the other thing is just, we've, we're talking a lot about authenticity and creativity and I wrote two screenplays in that class from start to finish, wire to wire. And it was challenging and fun and, and, and creative and is something that I'm still proud of to this day, even though, you know, they didn't go anywhere. I didn't, you know, I'm not a professional screenwriter, but I wrote them. And that is on my mind because to, that's, the, that's something that we need to center like doing the work for having done it and having it be your own. I think that that is, and I, I believe that that is something that will still be important even in the face of um, AI. <laughs> yeah. I, awesome. And I think you're right. And as someone who also loves fiction writing, like that's uh, a really cool thing to hear. Uh, I want to shout out a, a high school health teacher I had for one semester. Mm -hmm. uh, his name is Mr. Campbell or coach Campbell. He's a big uh, cross country coach and, massive into all the running and triathlons and all that stuff uh that i never really got into but what i appreciate when i was reflecting back you know uh on a lot of the stuff he did is that he took a class that for me was very much an elective right like you're required to take this semester of this class you got other things mm -hmm. going on and he injected so many opportunities to make it different uh in terms of like, you know, different movies that we've watched and reflections he asked us to write and discussions and debates we had. And almost like I feel like ahead of its time in terms of like the way that he injected that community of authenticity into a class that, quite frankly, a lot of students were showing up because they had to show up, right? Mm -hmm. And I just, it's a small thing, but it's not a small thing. Like I, I, I think of like that class more than a lot of like some of my core classes in high school where I found myself invested in really thinking deeply, not just to get the grade, but curious about the topic at hand and the discussion. He was making it very real to us in terms of what these implications were for our life. And he took a course that, again, doesn't always resonate curiosity and sparks and can be a very pragmatic course. And he made it intellectually curious for me. And I appreciate that because that's really hard to do. And mm -hmm. uh, he's into his retirement now. And I want to just like say, I really appreciate that. Cool. Well, Marcus, um, maybe we should also retire because what's the point? You know, AI can write your essays and that's that. It's a wrap. Let's go home. Let's just watch basketball or something. I, I can always co-sign on watching basketball. <laughs> any any White Lotus predictions you want to get on record before tonight's Man. Oh. Who's going to die, Jim? I don't know, man. It's It's tough. It is tough. My head has been on Lucia for a while, but I feel like that's the obvious choice. Um, 
I'm too nervous to make any predictions. I, I feel like the show is so well written and they've laid such a good case for anyone to, well, we know that it can't be, uh, we know that it can't be the wife, right? Uh, the one yeah, wife, Daphne, I forget no, her name, can't be Daphne. Daphne. So we can't be Daphne. And therefore I kind of also feel like it's not going to be one of the like Ethan, or I don't think it's going to be one of the, the rich couples. I don't, I think that they're pretty out of the question, but, and I don't think it's going to be, um, Jennifer. I, I don't, I, I don't know the names of the characters, but the Italian, the, the, the dad, like the middle dad who's cheats on his wife. I don't think it's going to be him. Yeah. Sopranos guy. Uh, no. Yeah. Um, what's his name? Christopher something. Uh, well, Christopher was, Christopher was a character. You're thinking of, Sopranos, yeah, Chris Masante from, uh, yeah. Right now, uh, it's Michael Imperioli. Oh yeah, yeah, I love. He's a great actor. He's he does a fan. Okay, uh, do you have any predictions? He's a great actor. Jim, name one thing he's been in other than Sopranos. I, I I don't. I'm saying I, I I'm saying I thought he was a great actor in The Sopranos and in this show. Okay. Like I I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not like I, I'm not a, a media critic here. Yeah. I just so like. I, him. <laughs> I will pin uh, my upset is that I found time while my youngest son was asleep in my arms to rewatch the pilot yesterday and did mm. the title sequence for clues i think porsche is gonna die uh because mm-hmm. i've been thinking about her, her too. actress's name is shows this woman looking up next to a lamb and i think of like lamb to the slaughter i'm just gonna like, make mm. my like out there prediction like the, there's like this symbolic clue of like that she will be sacrificed in pursuit of whatever the plan is or scheme going on i know this is very different than what you're used to in our podcast settings, but no, 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 I like it. I, I think I am right that Portia will be the one who dies. We'll find out what happens. Mm. I enjoy the show. I don't think it's great uh, in terms of like prestige TV, but it's very enjoyable to watch, and I'm excited for tonight. Oh, I mean, it's not prestige TV, but it's it's fun. It's so fun it's and fun. entertaining. Portia's, I think Portia's a good bit. I have not picked up on that lamb thing, but she certainly would be a lamb to the slaughter. So. It's gonna be multiple. And there, there, are, there are multiple bodies. So I, I, I oh, there are. Okay. Be very right that it's like Mia, Lucia, and Portia. That trifecta would not be surprising. Yeah, and I think um, there is there's definitely something very sinister going on with uh, Portia's boss oh, and yeah. and all the you know like I think that's gonna be a little bit heartbreaking to watch, but I'm excited for it. Yeah. The broken copier, a conversation about teaching and prestige HBO dramas. Comma white Lotus. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Take care. Have All a right, good man. last week and we'll uh, catch up over break and do our end of year reflections. Let's do it. Have a good one, Marcus. The broken copier is an independent listener supported podcast for teachers. The show is written and hosted by Marcus Luther and myself, Jim Mayers. I do editing and sound design for the show as well. Thanks to Alberto Lugo, a former student of mine, for writing and producing original intro music. Born and raised in Brooklyn, Alberto is an independent DJ and music producer based in New York City. You can find his work on Instagram at DJ Synchro and explore his portfolio at djsynchro.weebly.com. Thanks to Tom Chitari, a jazz musician, composer, and teacher currently based in Australia. Right now you're listening to Woodstock from his album Garden, available now on Spotify. 
You can stream all his music on Spotify under the name Uncivilized. Find him on Instagram at banduncivilized and online at uncivilizedtom.com. You can even sign up for remote guitar lessons with him, just like I do. Links are in the show notes. Thanks very much to my sister, Courtney Malavik, for the graphic design you see on our social media and episode posts. Thanks to Brandon Piasecki for helping to get this project off the ground. The goal of the show is to connect with a passionate, diverse group of educators, bring helpful analysis and collaboration, and celebrate everyone doing the hard work in the classroom. We hope to connect and direct time, resources, and energy towards concrete efforts that will improve student outcomes, especially in marginalized and underserved communities. We are not the only ones doing this. We want to honor and say thank you to the many educators out there, past, present, and future, who already understand their classroom practice through a lens of equity and change. We'd love to connect with you, hear about what you're doing, and give you a space to share your work. If you want to support the show, you can help us grow and connect for free. Reach out on social media at The Broken Copier, text an episode link to your friends in education, or even share an episode to your own social media feeds. You can email thoughts, feedback, and ideas to thebrokencopier at substack.com. You can also read other essays and thoughts on teaching and learning at thebrokencopier.substack.com, where we publish all of our episodes, available wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.